When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in to this week's episode on the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. This week, you've got me, Steve, and we're honored to be joined by Dr. Justin Jumpshot Short. Justin, what's <laughs> happening in St. Louis? Uh, Jumpshot, huh? That was an yeah. interesting choice. You must have uh, seen me out on the on the court <laughs> playing some b-ball yeah. outside of the school. <laughs> when a couple of guys, they were up to no good, started causing trouble in my neighborhood. <laughs> Anyways, so jump shot fitting, but interesting. I liked it. Not much <laughs> happening here. Steve, just good old St. Louis. I just got drawn actually in the last few days, last minute thing. I just got drawn to do an archery elk hunt in Montana. So I leave for that on Labor Day. And uh, nice. So just like a week away. So going up there with a couple guys, we're going to walk around the mountains and probably run from grizzly bear and <laughs> do that. So, and we just got back from the Ozarks. We were, me and the family were just there for four days. Lake of the Ozarks, for those of you not from the Midwest. So that was good. So any of you Ozark fans out there, it's uh, actually nothing like what you see on TV. But life is good. How about you? I've heard special things about the Lake of the Ozarks. It's is this a pretty big place? Yeah, it's really big. It's a neat place, yeah. A lot of houses on the water, a lot of restaurants on the water. Huge lake. We actually used to... Me and my wife bought a house there. We had a house there for a while, and then we had our second kid. And then we realized whenever we got there, we were just like changing diapers. So we sold it a while ago. But so we still go back down. We got other friends that have places, or you can rent places, VRBO. It's a cool place. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I used to go there more younger. I think it was like, you know, college, we'd go there, like friends that had family houses there and stuff. So we'd all go down and then. Then I think we took a hiatus when everyone's kids were little. Now we're starting to head back down there more often. Now the kids are getting a little bit older. so They'll do that. They'll just ruin everything, all your vacations and your lake houses. Yeah. Seriously. Cramping my style. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, I was actually at a lake too. I got together last weekend with a group of friends that I went through dental school with. And we kind of had a a group of buddies, like seven or eight of us that we, you know, suffered through dental school with together. And it, we were, our friendship was forged through all that misery. And anyways, it's been four years since we've been together. So we all took a weekend and got together, caught up. Derek was there actually. We uh, ate steak and went boating. I learned that I cannot wakeboard at all, but it was fun to try for the first time. My kids, because we don't have many wakeboards or I guess there's a few wakeboards, but like we don't have the, um, is it wake surf? A lot of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. Where we're at just because we're Midwest and that's more West coast. You're just like throw them in the water and swim, make right. a rope swing or something. So what we did, we started this year. I was making the kids get up on and stand up on the tube. So I'm like, <laughs> Traditional tubing is no good anymore. I'm like you guys mean nothing to me if you can't go 20 seconds standing up. So two of the three made it. So we left the other hey. one there. And uh, <laughs> I talked to one of my clients, shout out to Spencer Greer. He was with you guys, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spence is actually really good at it. So, yeah, yeah that was fun. He seems like a guy that would just be good at everything like that. No, he's really good. He's got big arms, too, so he looks good while he does it. Yeah, I hate guys with big arms and strong <laughs> jawlines and good hair. No, but, yeah, he's um, – I got off the phone with him. I don't know. I guess right before you guys left, like the day or the day of or the day before, and he's like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go meet Derek and Steve. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, we're all getting together. I was like, oh, thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I left you hanging there, Bunch Justin. Beep. <laughs> next time, next time. Yeah, always next time. All right. We stalled. We need to get into it. All right, everyone. You've heard about our personal lives. Now we're going to give you the good stuff, okay? Today, I thought it would be good to share a very easily applicable tip that I know, Justin, is very near and dear to your heart as you talk about this a lot. Doing this one thing gives us something that we all want, yet very few dentists are willing to do it, even though it's very simple. What is this tip you may be asking that you should do right away? And it is raise your fees. When was the last time you raised your fees? If you're like most other people, it's likely been a while. And for some doctors out there, it may have been never. <laughs> last time, I checked insurance reimbursements are not going up and supply costs are not going down. And I've never heard of an employee that has come up and asked to work for a dollar or two less per hour. So with all of your costs continually rising, why is it a problem if we raise our fees? If you need an actionable pearl from the rest of this podcast, just go and raise your fees five or 10% today. There, that's it. You can do it. But let's delve just for a few minutes more into it. Why don't doctors, most docs raise their fees? Uh, there's probably a couple reasons, but I think probably at the top of the list is most doctors are just scared that they will offend patients by raising their fees. Similar to how many times dentists will suggest a lower cost treatment, like a huge filling when a tooth really needs a crown because they're trying to save the dentist or the patient some money. We're afraid that by telling them, the patient, that they need something that carries any real cost, that that person is not going to like us anymore. And this will not make them happy. And you know what? As a nice dentist, I just want to make everybody happy. Sorry, but the truth is patients are going to think that any number that comes out of your mouth is expensive. So if you tell them a denture costs 600 bucks, they're going to whine and they'll say, what, $600? If you tell them a denture costs $1,200, guess what? They're probably going to say the same thing. But in the first scenario, if the patient accepts treatment, you're just really spinning your wheels and probably not making much of any money. In the second scenario, you're going to be making multiple times the profit doing the exact same thing. You are... Exactly right, Steve, believe it or not. Why, thank you. So what do we all think? We think that if we raise our fees, and right now we're talking about cash patients or fee-for-service patients, that everyone's going to come in and just like have this knack, this smell in the air, and know that we've raised our fees, see that we've raised our fees, and our cleaning <laughs> fees have gone up five or ten bucks, and they're going to throw a fit. And they're going to ask for the records to be transferred. They're going to go home. They're going to call all their friends. <laughs> they're going to rent a billboard in town saying, Dr. Short raised his fees. <laughs> and before too long, we'll be declaring bankruptcy in six months because 
everyone will know we raised our fees a little bit and everyone will leave. In reality, that obviously doesn't happen. Generally, and I'm not saying this lighthearted either, Steve, generally no one ever even notices or says anything if you raise your fees. Yep. You know, if I like my, and I'm talking about myself, if I like my dentist or my doctor, I'm not leaving or throwing a fit because they raised their fees 5%. In fact, I probably wouldn't even notice. And no, your patients aren't different than anyone else's. Everyone likes to use that excuse. I've heard that a kajabillion times. <laughs> you know, my patients don't have cavities or need work. My patients don't like to go to, to get dental work done. My patients will all notice if I raise my fees. And bottom line is that's just not true. It's an excuse based off an irrational fear. And I've seen fees raised in hundreds of practices by now. And have maybe heard of like three stories of anyone ever saying a thing. And it's usually that grouchy 80-year-old patient that probably would have complained even if you lowered your fees 5%. <laughs> so next, you know, just kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, does anyone out there think that if you charge $500 for a crown, any patient is going to come in and say, Doc, thank you so much for that cheap price on a crown. That's really not enough. You're worth more than that, Doc. No. <laughs> They're not going to tell you it's such a great deal, even though a crown for 500 bucks is a great deal. No. Whether you charge $500 or $1,000 or $2,000 to our patients, it's all too expensive. Doesn't mean they won't get it done, but they all think it's too much money for a crown. So True. you've got to reframe and you've got to take a leap of faith and not saying gouge, like you know, if you go in and raise your crown fees to 3500 yeah, you might get some pushback. But I think for the normal fees that we're talking about, 5 to 10%, you need to go in and do it if you have not done that in the last 6 to 12 months. Thanks. Yep. Very well said. I think a second reason, apart from being afraid that we will offend our patients, that doctors are afraid to do this, is we have it ingrained in our own minds that our work is not worth a higher amount. And I get it. We all, we are like forced, many of us are forced to work for these PPO rates or, you know, we're so used to having discounted fees with these insurances that somehow we start unknowingly thinking that these are normal fees. This is what dentists deserve. Right. But no, no, don't get numb to those terrible fee schedules. Just remember, you went to school for 10 years. You're really a highly skilled professional and you pay a professional staff. So remember that and act like it. I remember my first year into private practice, none of my extraction codes were over $200. And I thought telling people, you know, that removing a tooth, a fee higher than that was, was just too much. I mean, after all, my insurance fees were like a fraction of that. And so my insurance say, fees say that an extraction is worth and should cost this much. I'm sure my patients would probably balk at anything over that amount. But thinking about it, you want to know how much a private practice dermatologist is going to charge you to, I don't know, like take off a mole or something really simple. It's going to be a lot, right? And what's harder, clipping off some skin or like flapping gums, trenching somebody's mandible, cutting their tooth into pieces and getting it out all while acting like this is no big deal. And you're talking to the patient through it. You know, which one's harder? I think our job is harder. So, but do our fees really reflect that? Uh, we can't let 
what you know insurances say we should charge kind of affect our mentality on the value of our service. Yeah. So for you know non-PPO patients, raise your fees. Your expertise and your dedication to high quality, remember, it's going to warrant that. Yeah. I actually had this conversation. It's not exactly on topic, but semi-applicable. So I had a patient, kind of an older patient, I mean, but wasn't like that 90-year-old crotchety guy. Decent, (laughs) nice guy, just a little bit older. And I was taking out a tooth and it came out pretty easily. You know, it's one of those, like, I don't know if it's going to break in 75 pieces or I could get lucky and it could elevate right out. Thank the Lord it elevated right out. Yeah. You know, so I got him numb, used septo. He was probably numb in a minute and had that tooth out, you know, all said and done, less than five minutes. And, you know, he kind of looked at me. He's like, dang, doc, you know, you kidding me? That cost. 200, 250 bucks, whatever it was, take out that tooth. And he's like, don't you think that's a lot for five minutes worth of work? I was like, listen, man, do you know how (laughs) much it cost me and how long it took me to learn to be able to get that tooth out in five minutes without hurting you? And I could tell he sat there and he was thinking about it. He's like, I think that's a good deal. And that's all she wrote. (laughs) She didn't fight back. But it's a cool patient, even though, yeah, and Bottom line is there's a lot of truth in it. And I've also used the same, you know, I, I've had, and I practiced for, I don't know, 13 years. So I took out a fair amount of teeth over that time, had to, all uh, sorts of patients. I had another patient um, who wasn't quite as nice, kind of older, same thing. You know, you just, char- that took you four or five minutes and you just charged me 250 bucks for that. I was like, you know what? Next time, remind me, you think that's too much and I'll make sure I take a lot longer time to get that tooth out for you. <laughs> And again, they just kind of give me like UA hole kind of look, but it's the truth. You know, what we do, I'm not going to pretend like it's brain surgery. It's not, it's not open heart surgery, Sure, but you know, we all, it took a lot of work to get to the point where you have your own practice, where you are doing the work in people's oral cavity. So be proud of it. Be proud of what you do. Be proud of what skills you have. And going back to where Steve left off, raising your fees applies to negotiating PPO fees as well. I remember the first time I had my PPO fees negotiated, professionally negotiated by a company. And at the end of the day, when you're all done, they show you what your increase should be if you basically did the same amount of dentistry you did in the past 12 months as you would going forward in the next 12 months with the new fees. And for me, that number was, remember, 58000 So basically, if I did the same amount of work in the next 12 months, now I would make $58,000 more after they negotiated the fees for me, which at the time was like $4,4500. Nice. So good deal in my mind. You know, And that's straight profit. That's a $58,000 raise for doing nothing different than I was already going to do. My overhead's not going up. Because of that, you know, my lab fees aren't going up. Staff costs aren't going up. I'm just getting paid more for doing what I was already going to do. So you have to stay on top of it. You know, we have a couple people we suggest and you can email if you're interested about who those people are. We're not trying to hide it from you or sucker you into emailing us. But we also don't want this podcast to be out for eternity. And if one of those people start doing a crappy job, like this podcast is out there in uh, their <laughs> webs forever. And, you know, so we don't want to be locked in. 
Yeah. So you can email us and we'll tell you. And you don't have to wait two years to negotiate like most companies would like to tell you. Yes, some companies will not negotiate, but a lot will. Or a lot of times how you're contracted through different companies, you can get different fee schedules. So I'm a big believer in getting professional help in negotiating your fees. Email and ask Steve, Steve Vanegraaff. Steve at lifestylepractice.com. He's one of the nicest guys you'll meet. And let's be honest, the dude took a practice doing like $250 a year to be netting over a million dollars within a couple of years. You don't see that too often, folks. So, <laughs> but this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, uh, you're funny. You're nice. Yeah. So there's a plug for Steve out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the one to share you with the the ways of negotiating insurance. Actually, I don't know, but we do hire it out. And you're exactly right. I think I just kick myself in the in the leg not like why didn't I do that first thing when I took over my practice. It's just a no-brainer, really. So, yeah, put that at the top of your to-do list as well. Good points, Justin. So, the last reason I think that maybe we don't raise our fees is you know, we somehow we don't really believe our patients need this expensive treatment because of the cost. I think for some of us, in some weird way, we don't value the treatment that we're providing, meaning we may not think that patients really need it. This isn't going to make a really big difference in their life. But remember, you know, it does. You know, treatment improves everything, right? I mean, when patients ask and say, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? I always say, we're only going to do things that help and improve you. Grant Cardone in his book, Sell or Be Sold, he talks about the price myth and shares that price is almost never, he says, the issue for buyers. The real issue is love and confidence are his words. If the buyer is 100% confident that the service provides them what they really want, then they will pay regardless of the fee or the relative price. I think that's something really good to remember. You know, remember that when we're giving, you know, a presentation to patients that we really believe it ourselves. We're not just putting a crown on number 14 because it lost a cusp, but really, Miss Jones, we're going to fix your broken back molar so you can chew and keep your teeth healthy and strong for the rest of your life. That's what the mindset should be, right? And then when she says yes, we do our very best work to back it up, you know, make do a, a perfect, wonderful crown. And then the bill hopefully will compensate you appropriately. That's a good point. But let's be honest, sometimes it can be tough to execute on. You've got to sell with confidence. You've got to present your treatment plans with confidence and believe in what you're offering. And there's no magic formula to believe in what you're selling. You just have to do it. You've got to buck up. You've got to hold yourself accountable and you have got to sell with confidence. You know, it's not, I talk to clients about this all the time and it's not like, Oh, say these three magic words and spin around. And now you've got confidence. No, you've got to find confidence and believe in what you're offering is in the patient's best interest. It's going to improve their quality of life and it's worth the fees that you're doing. Yeah. I've told this story, I think before of the two practices I purchased during my career. One of the practices, the doc didn't think his patients, quote, liked crowns. He would try to patch <laughs> until teeth were crumbling and had to be extracted. And not just because he was he was trying to do them a favor, I think, a lot of times. He didn't 
you know, he was uncomfortable selling crowns. He might have even been uncomfortable doing crowns. And as a result, either actually believe or convinced himself that his patients didn't like crowns. And in that practice, I would guess one-third to one-half of his patients over the age of 60, and there were quite a few, had either missing teeth or a removable appliance. And no one liked them. Not that he did a bad job making them. He was actually really good because he's made so many. Yeah. But no one comes in and is like, man, this denture is kick beep. (laughs) You know, I love this partial. I love how it rubs my gums. I love how it yanks on this tooth that it hooks onto. It's great. No one ever says that. I love taking this out after a meal and cleaning out all the food on the dinner. Oh, it's so hot. <laughs> Not many things made me sick, but food under dentures would like make me dry heave in the office. Exact same. Exact oh, same. Lord help me. <laughs> so, you know, these patients, they were always getting them adjusted um, or getting another tooth added or getting another one extracted. And the other practice I purchased, I would say, and I don't say this very often, but I would say the doc was almost borderline aggressive before I took over. But you know what? I could count on one hand, literally one hand, the number of patients he had with removable appliances. Wow. And very few of his patients had missing teeth. And this was a huge wake-up call for me. And I, you know, I would think, what patient did I want to be when I was 60 or 70 or 80 years old? I don't want a denture. I don't want a partial. So this isn't an advocating for overtreatment planning. No. But seeing this in real life play out, it helped me believe in what I was offering because I have seen both sides of the tracks and I knew if I was the patient, which side I would want to be on. You know, if I was a 60, 70, 80 year old patient and I had the choice to go back to 20, 30 years old and which practice would I want to be in? No doubt which one. Maybe I got a crown a few few years earlier in one practice than another practice or not at all in the other practice. But, you know, in bottom line, I wanted the best for my patients and I offered them the best knowing that regardless if they realized it or not, I was working hard to increase their quality of life in the long run. And that belief and that knowledge helped me sell with confidence. So I'm not sure what it will take for you listeners. You know, if anyone can learn from that story, please take it and use it, put it in your quiver and roll. But you've got to figure out a way to believe in what you offer. Whatever it takes, figure it out. Believe in yourself. Believe what you're offering is in the patient's best interest. And I think it will help you sell with more confidence. Yeah. That's a cool story. I didn't know that about your second practice. Yeah. And your the first practice sounds like a sweet one to buy yeah. <laughs> and come in. That's pretty awesome. Yep, it was. Yeah, great point. So in closing, remember guys, the only way to collect more is you can either do more dentistry, do the same amount of dentistry on more people, or an easier way is raise your fees. Of course, PPO, you know, there's there's some restrictions there, but uh, wherever we can, raise your fees. Really, it's, the, uh, it's a combination between doing those things, but raising your fees regularly is by far the easiest of all those options. So do it. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I always tell clients the same thing. Like, you know, people want to grow. You want the numbers to grow up. Well, it's easy. For me, I I narrow what you say. I boil it down to two points, but it's either A, do more dentistry or B, raise your fees. Those are two options. Only ways you can build a practice. 
obviously we like to do both. We want to grow and do more dentistry with higher fees, but yeah. don't think that, don't kid yourself and act like there's other ways to do it, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, if you don't raise your fees, as your expenses and supplies and lab bills all go up, you're always having to do more and more dentistry to keep up just to break even, end up constantly chasing your tail. And that's no way to run a business. Yeah. The reason we're doing this is not to make our patients unhappy with us for mysteriously raising 5% fees, which they'll probably never notice. But this is to make you and your family more finances and money so that you can live life your own terms, which is what all of this is all about. So if you have any questions or any experience with this, just email us. We would love to connect with you guys, Justin, Steve, and Derek at thelifestylepractice.com. And then if you would, help us out by leaving a five-star review or sharing this podcast with a friend. And then we will gladly keep sharing regular content to hopefully help you out. So with that, everyone, have a great week until next time. Peace. Jump without a net